Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today we have Ben Seacrest. Um, this is Ben's second time. It's probably a year ago. He was on almost a year ago. But today we're breaking down his video a little bit, which is techniques for inshore calico bass. Uh, Inside Sport Fishing did it, and it's with Ben Seacrest and Greg Stoodsbury. It's a great video. It's, it's like from almost 20 years ago, and uh, they're catching big fish on, on pretty light line. Uh, their bag was 38 pounds. I think on the video, it's awesome. I think you could still get it too on Amazon or something. Or if not, I'm sure if you hit up Ben, he would point you in the right direction. But I, I think the video is great. <coughs> um, also, we have a person that we're going to add on to the um, shirt release. So Caesar from Toxic Bait is coming down that morning to do his podcast. He's going to stick around and sell some baits at the shirt release at Ambitious Sales. So for freshwater guys, they might want to come down and, and uh, maybe buy some baits from them. And uh, come down, support, get some stuff from us, buy a shirt from us, get a beer from Ambitious. Again, Lateral Vision, Haggard Pirate, Mutiny, and Dark Waters is going to be there. So uh, come down and hang out, guys. Hope to see you then. Later. Ambitious Ales is a microbrewery located in the beautiful community of Bixby Knolls in Long Beach, California. They serve classic beers styled with unique ingredients that are perfect for both the craft beer enthusiast and those new to craft beer. Beer isn't your thing? This is still the spot for you. Ambitious Ales prides themselves in offering beers that even the non-beer drinker may enjoy. If you still can't find a beer you dig, then sip on some homemade cold brew coffee or their refreshing cold pop. So tell me about the beer you say. There's Floor, a Belgian table beer brewed with chamomile, lavender, and strawberries. There's Mangoes. A tart German wheat beer brewed with sea salt, coriander, and mangoes. And there's Next Collar, a hazy IPA brewed with 100% mosaic hops. Enjoy any of these in their laid-back tasting room where you can listen to some eclectic tunes, play a classic board game, and order tasty pizza from next door. If pizza isn't your thing, you can bring any outside food and pair it with one of the 12 beers on tap. The tasting room is kid and dog friendly, and did I mention they have a patio where you can enjoy a light, crisp beer while soaking in the California sun? So what are you waiting for? Check out Ambitious Ales, located at 4019 Atlantic Avenue in Long Beach. Cheers. All right, so I guess this is part two, and we get to talk about Ben's uh, video he did. This was in what year? 
95 for us? 95 or 96. You could tell maybe. by the shorts he's wearing. It had to have been. Uh, thanks. <laughs> it had to be in Thanks. His cock and balls are almost. <laughs> Nick likes my ass. Yeah, you look good. It's all that prison time he had earlier in life. Want that shit pushed in, bro? <laughs> um, I watched this video. I, I, I uh, a couple guys told me about it, and I'm like, they're like, dude, you got to watch this fucking video. So I bugged Ben a couple times, and I'm like, I gotta check this out. So I watched it. And I'm like, it's a fucking great video, very informative, and no one was doing it at the time. And uh, you guys break down everything. Everything. Yeah, no one was doing it at the time. And I think the I think the whole premise of the whole deal is we were doing a lot of videos with Mike Folks. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of stuff from Marlin fishing to whatever else. And it was just local stuff. And then that Calico Bass thing showed up. And we started winning some Calico Bass tournaments. And then we won that really big one. And we won the really big one. He filmed all of us catching these fish, right? So it was like, hey, this is the time we do a how-to calico bass video. And I was like, okay. So what it was, it was me and Stoats figured it out. And I sort of wrote like a script on how we were going to do what we we're going to do. And we talked to Angler Center and they said it was fine to do it in there. Oh, is that After where you hours, did it? We did it at oh, Angler Center. damn, dude. That's the old Angler Center yeah. from the 90s. So um, the rest... You know, the rest is history, but it's like, it's like we were, you know, we, we just did a, a previous part when we we're talking about, um, Matt and swim baits. I knew what I was doing because I did it every day. It's the same thing he was doing every single day, every day after work. And we talked about this before I'd get off of work at three thirty. didn't have a girlfriend, didn't care about the chicks. I'd take my 15 foot gregor launch it at the dunes and go fish for calicos and i was the only boat out there so i did that for like three years and then people started gaining interest in it and the weirdest thing is we were talking earlier is what you what you don't know it's like the unknown is one of these things that you have to know so the only way to figure out the unknown is to go figure it out right mm-hmm. So I went out there the first time, and I was fishing 12-pound. I got reamed. <laughs> so then I, I went out there the next time, and I fished 15. And that's where musky sticks, you know, like there was no saltwater bass rods. All the bass rods, you, no matter what you looked at, was all really light. Because what were we doing? We are fishing worms. Even a jig rod was too light for doing that. Mm-hmm. So we went and went to the musky rods. And I found some musky rods from Kunan and some from um from fenwick and started you really doing research like were you oh dude i was doing research i went as far when i back when we were doing that i tagged 500 calico bass and did it with floyd tags that i bought myself from washington and in those days it cost me 200 dollars for whatever and i bought the bought them and i went to al kalen who was like a big sponsor of mine yeah i was like al um how can we get these people to return the tags? Because I was doing this at AFCO for tuna. I had started that tuna tagging program. Mm-hmm. So then what we did is Al made up packets so anybody that returned a Floyd tag to Kalen was sent a, a calico bass packet. And that's how we started figuring out all these fish that I tagged, if they lived in a spot or if they traveled at all. And what we found is that most of the fish that I was tagging on hard bottom spots or in the rocks 
they lived there all their lives. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of fish that I was tagging. I was tagging fish in kelp that didn't live there. So the kelp fish were like migratory. They'd move around a little bit. But those fish that were on stones or hard bottoms and stuff like that, they stayed there. So the, we learned a whole bunch of stuff, and I handed it over to DFG and, and Crook had it. And it was something that, like, when you go to a, a certain spot in your life and you want to know as much as you can know, because we never know at all, mm-hmm. we knew a lot back then, and you knew all about how to catch those fish. Yeah, and that video, you do a pretty good, I mean, just even watching you pull up, nine pounders like big fish really you know yeah it's yeah. crazy and the the bend in those rods too and the the way you guys are setting the hooks and it's like just something different yeah what um i mean you start pretty much on your line so at the time what line were you the size comparable today like the line you're okay using. remember back then there was stren and trilene and maxima, maxima <laughs> right and all i used was maxima so what I learned is that 12 pound was perfect because 12 was 15. 15 was like 20, maybe 19, whatever, and 17. So I used 12, 15, and 17. And people go, you're not using 20. And I'm like, I am using 20. I'm like using 25, and you don't know it. But (laughs) that line back then, we were sponsored by Maxima. So we could use the line and then just, you know, get rid of it and keep on changing the line. 12-pound I used primarily when we were fishing kelp because it didn't have problems with holding fish and kelp. You could land big fish and kelp. Yeah. When you went to stone fishing, you were fishing 15. As the the light got a lot lower, so if I was fishing early in the morning, because mm-hmm. the key times were like you were, you were fishing tidal fish. You were fishing incoming tides, and you would mark them out. I, I think we talked about this before. Yeah. I had a tide book. And I marked every day I was going to fish in this tide book. And then I'd go through and take days off around it if I needed to on really good tides or work half a day or whatever. But low light, incoming tides, and I was on it. I was always doing it. And back then when we were doing it, we didn't have foot control trimmers. <laughs> so it was sort of hairball. Everything was what, tiller? It was tiller. And one guy was driving the boat and another guy was cast. And then a yeah. lot of times if there wasn't a lot of surge... Then it was okay, but you know, I can I I think in my head one time where Greg and I were fishing, it was a big south swell and I wasn't paying attention and we had like a solid ten foot face behind it. And he goes, Go for the shoulder, go for the shoulder, and I'm driving this thing as fast as I could, but I didn't look at the shoulder and I went right over the peak oh. of this wave. And I took my little boat and it was like airborne, like six <laughs> feet in the air and landed on the bottom and he just looked at me like, man, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, I just couldn't get to the shoulder. I was afraid. <laughs> so um, what it did is it taught us a lot of stuff. It taught us a lot about how the fish how the fish would react to baits in different times of the year, how the fish would react to baits in different places where you're fishing. But it mostly taught me a lot about how to be safe with everything. Don't okay. end up with a hook in your buddy's head. Don't kill, don't drown two people in your boat. So you you learn a lot of stuff. But the other thing that that did is Stoats and I actually would get small, like 15 and 16 foot um, Valcos and Gregors and customize them. So we'd cut out the center seat, put a Marquish tank in the center seat Mm -hmm. and plumb them so that those little boats, when we would catch really, really big fish, we would stick them in the tanks 
and find places and take pictures of them. So we had we had some really nice <laughs> pictures of a lot of nice fish, but you know, in in those days there was no one fishing them. It was us, and there was there was um, John. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I can't think of his name, but John was fishing them. Um, there was like three or four boats and always with the old man was fishing them. So <laughs> I used to see him a lot everywhere, but, um, we caught, we were able to catch a whole bunch of fish. And for me, the thing that was cool is like, you know, Matt was talking about his stuff with the video with me. I always had Rich Holland with me. So if I caught a big one, Rich Holland took a picture of it <laughs> and all of them were weighed on, on Delire scales and people don't even know what Delire scales are. like, it's a Chatillion scale mm-hmm. that, is literally back in the old days, you could get them IGFA, you know, IGFA approved, so you could weigh fish on them. Wow. And if you did it, you know, on the beach, it was great. But we had a lot of big fish weighed on that, and it was it was really fun. Yeah, and I mean, even the breakdown you get when you're you're uh, breaking the tackle down, the the lead heads you're using, the lead heads we yeah. poured ourselves. Yeah, which is now cool. now you got Afrin that's making you know the best lead head on the on the map that you know you're not going to snag fish yeah. you're not going to snag you're not going to snag the bottom but you're going to get most of the bites that you you have you had no weedless then right no weedless and so- the ones that we did we used the old flipping weedless that had like a different head on it it looked like a bug head on them okay and we used to and i got those from suakawa who used to make haddock lures okay and he was in i think he's still around even but he was down there in pedro you were uh, you were using that for we would that work pretty well or would you just say I'd rather use no that? no actually you know what we use those for we use those a lot with um, magambos okay. we fished magambos we caught a lot of really big fish on magambos and the wildest thing that ever happened to me was when owner came up with those the owner came up with jig hooks and no one would pour them and me and Stoat started grabbing them and pouring them. Mm-hmm. And we finally talked Al Kalen into pouring chemically sharpened hooks, and that was the start of Kalen did a lot of he had a, he had a lot of firsts that people don't know about, mm-hmm. and it was all based off of us doing our backyard stuff. Yeah, you're doing, so, you're pretty much making everything except pouring baits. Yeah, were you we, pouring baits too? No, well, that's something no. we didn't do. We first guy to give us or show us baits was Marv Benelin. Mm-hmm. And before Marv Benelin, it was uh, Sassy Shads and stuff like that. And then um, I met Gary Brown from Fish Traps, and he's the one that turned me on to Fish Traps. And then uh, Barry Breitenberg got Fish Traps. And that's pretty much the history of the bait mm-hmm. that we used. But what we did is we went from fishing 3-inch to 4-inch to 5-inch to 6-inch to 7s to 9s. Yeah. And we made some big. And then we'd, we'd trap hook some of them, you know, for yeah. really... If we were getting driven crazy by smaller fish, so yeah. And were you fishing spotties too? Yeah, we started fishing spotties. We started after or before. Before we fished spotties way before. It was in the Finwick tournament days, and then ABA had a spotty tournament, and Butch Chapman and Dinah Avina won it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget that stuff. But it was like we started the spotties. The spotties had us learn a lot about what was going on with spotty. The biggest spotty I think we ever caught back then was maybe three ten. We had like one that was like three pounds ten ounces. And then with the spotty tackle is when we went outside to test the calico waters, which was 
and we got destroyed. So then <laughs> were we you tripping out when you did oh, yeah. set a hook? You're like, what the fuck? I'll, was never, that? I'll never forget Stotesbury just looking at me, going, "Dude, what?" Nah. And I'm like, I'm, "Dude, this is off the hook. We need to go back and regroup." And you know, Greg's always been he's always been forward thinker. So he was helping with a lot of stuff, and he was the one that first got us pouring our own lead heads. We were pouring bullet heads with um, owner hooks and. I'm telling you, the owner hooks, what we did back then that guys don't have to do so much now is we fished a stiff rod, but we had all monofilament. So we'd have to wind our rear end off to get all the stretch out of the monofilament to set the hook. Which you can see in the video. Yep. And the <laughs> owner and the owner hooks helped because it took less pressure to get them in a fish's face. Yeah. And that was new when you were just fishing. Like it was. Oh, we we I I would I would go out on a limb and tell you that with us pouring, well, we were pouring, and probably other guys were pouring it, but no one offered it on the market. We were the only ones that had them. And you were pouring the hooks. We were pouring. We were pouring our own heads. Heads, and then with those hooks. hooks. Okay. And the owner came out with the same. They never did. It was (laughs) it was a while longer after that. Damn. So you've seen all this come, and we've seen full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's crazy. And you were you weren't fishing Laguna then either, were you? Oh yeah. We yeah. fished we started fishing Newport and Corona del Mar. And we had a we had a one we had like it was the same thing as a lake. You'd fish yeah, hey, I got this one bank and it's full all the time. And then once you got past that, when we got into Laguna, I started messing with Laguna myself. And then I went from Laguna down, fish started fishing Dana Point, and went from Dana Point down and started fishing trestles and, you know, just started understanding more and more about it. And there's a big difference between fishing, you know, Newport and Laguna than there is fishing Dana because we don't have the same structure. And when they shut Laguna, they basically shut down the hog farm because that's where most of the fish, the bigger fish, were taken. So What's the record? 14.7. And that's where out of? Newport, right in front of the harbor, right to the left in Corona Del Mar. Who holds that? I don't know the guy's name. I was out there the day he caught it. He was yeah. hooping and hollering. He caught it on a mackerel, and he was in a rental boat and went wow. in and weighed it and that's you know crazy. killed the booger. You know? But it was, <laughs> it was a big fish. But, I mean, throughout the years, I mean, I had... I had one fish that was eleven three, and then we had um, we had a fish. I had a fish with. I had the weirdest night with uh, Dave Pfeiffer, where I was in the little skiff, and he was in the front of the boat, and I was trying to fix a leak in the back of the boat. And he made one cast, and he had a fish, and we weighed it, and it was like it was upper ten, so I gave it to him as a ten mm-hmm. on these scales. And it was a nice, quiet night, so everything wasn't bobbing. But no matter what, if it's way over ten, then you get a ten pounder. Yeah, right. And um, then it was probably about 20 minutes later, and he caught a 13. He had one that was like 13.6. And I was like, oh, my God, that's the biggest thing I've ever seen. And there's a picture in Sports Barber in Dana Point with Dave Pfeiffer holding this 13. I don't know where the other photos are. I took the photos years ago. but, But that's what we would do is we would fish, especially during the summer, we would fish. Because back then, there was no offshore fishing. You were stoked if you caught a striped marlin or a couple of yellowtail. And we were always targeting, oh, let's go make a shark fishing. And let's get, and that was before threshers. Mm-hmm. Then the thresher thing, we figured that thing out. But the Calico Bass deal was like, like I said, we picked our nights. We knew where we were going to fish. And we'd fish from, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon to nine o'clock at night, just when you couldn't see anymore. And some of the best bites that you would get 
were just when it got dark because no matter what, those things are nocturnal feeders. They eat, they eat octopus. They eat. I mean, I've caught them and they've had lobster in them, <laughs> right? So they eat everything. Yeah. So it was like one of those deals where we really enjoyed those nighttime fishings. And what I remember most is, depending on where you're at, where you're running to, when I moved to Dana, we'd run, and the phosphorescence in the water at night was unbelievable. You can They're, see the fish come up and bite your bait. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. It was crazy. Dude, it was crazy. So That's crazy. What about uh, your bag on that video? What, what size was it? Uh, 3708. Was that one of the biggest bags for Calico? That's the biggest one I know of. Really? Yeah. How yeah. many people were in? Now, was that tournament all um, lures or was it anything? No, it was anything, but we fished okay. strictly swim baits. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we, you... I mean, to this day, I just got back from Cedrus and everybody wanted to fish bait for the bigger ones. I've, I want to fish surface iron. Oh, yo yo. I don't want to fish bait half the time yeah. unless I have to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And how many people would be in those tournaments in the, in the, back then? Uh, that one, there was 40. 44 teams. Wow. That's and then the next one was 41 teams. And the buy-in to those tournaments were first place in that tournament was 13 grand. The one you won? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, shit. Yeah. So there was a big buy-in then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back then it was like the money that we won from that tournament started started all the outside um, walls and everything else in my house that I bought in Dana. <laughs> and, and, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so that money was put to good use. You so know? the wife was happy then. Yeah, oh, super happy. But with those tournaments, that's what I learned. It's like I fished the bass tournaments, the freshwater bass tournaments, and I saw a little bit of it, but I saw more of just the the uh, just bad attitudes, bad sportsmanship with several people. And in the freshwater? It, or in the, the saltwater. Salt and water. then what I used to see a lot of times was just like they say, one rotten egg ruins a dozen or whatever. It was it would get pretty gnarly sometimes. So when and not and I'm talking about before SWBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, would, there used to be people that would go off and say things, and it just wasn't right. It didn't work. So um, we would listen to it. But then you know, as SWBA was in its infancy, I started fishing that with um, my buddy Al and um, fished that for a couple years, and it was fun. But the the hardest part is I left. AFCO and didn't work there anymore and the SWBA I was working at Shimano and I had to work for a living right I had to be places and do things and and before when I was at AFCO I had all the time in the world to fish so I probably fished each week at least five days strictly for calicos you feel so, like you could have done better if you were still working at AFCO at a... I just, I think anybody can do better if they pre-fish. And I, I mean, Matt was talking about earlier with pre-fishing, you can't do anything unless you have the mind of the fish and people don't understand. It's like when you fish all the time, you, I'm not going to say you think like a fish, but you can follow them and you track them and you see the differences and you see the small little things that are saying, okay, now you can get them or this is what it's going to take on this and... When we fished all the time, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. That pre-fishing was so important because I learned so much about it. Mm-hmm. So now it's funny is I'll pull up on spots still to this day, and I can look at them, and I can read a spot because I spent all those years fishing, you know, previously and looking at stuff. It doesn't change. Yeah. It doesn't change. I mean, it, what changes is basic. What's changing now is just the the health of the resource. I mean, the calico bass fishing is nowhere near what it was before, and I'm not going to say it's 
it's hurt by any means. I was just spoiled. Yeah. What about, I mean, the money in those tournaments? Why, why do you think you can't do that nowadays? Um, you know what? I think back then it was new and it was fun and it was something that was just crazy. Like I remember there was the Calico Bass Tournament. There was Western Outdoor News tournaments all over the place. Then there was Western Outdoor News tournaments down in Ensenada. And they were all Calico-based tournaments. And the focus on big bags was really cool. And it was it was fun. So we went from making, like, the promoters. Nowadays, you don't have promoters, yeah. right? You don't have a promoter. We had a guy that um, Harvey, I can't think of his last name, but Harvey, who used to own uh, Pacific Sport Fishing, he was the ones that would do it. And he would create big purses and it was really cool to buy into a big purse and if you got to win a big purse it was something nowadays guys don't want to do it and the interest isn't there you know you don't have a guy promoting something you have a guy that if he grabs it and he's going to do something unlike jerry mayhew jerry mayhew's awesome yeah right but there's in the past there was always guys trying to promote tournaments that wanted to make a certain amount of money off of promoting the tournament making the tournament whereas you want to buy into something where you can win as much money as you can for something or you can have a, a good payout down the road. It's just not the same. Yeah. And that's, I guess, at the time and the age and social media. I, I fucking hate always blaming shit on social media. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's ha- it, plays, it plays into the whole thing a little bit, you know? Right? Yeah, social media, like, back then... Your secrets were secrets, and now, <laughs> now if you have if you have a if you have a secret, and social media gets a hold of it, you have no secrets. That's what killed me is by making that video. I gave everybody things that I was doing. Maybe they were doing a couple of things, but I gave them ten things, and if they were doing three things, now they had seven more things, and I'm I created my own competition. After that video. After that video. I made a certain I made good money on that video, but yeah. I created my own competition by giving the farm away. And all that information that I gave them wasn't like I learned it in a week. Oh, that was years, years of figuring it out. So um, I guess maybe it hurt you and then but I mean it was a big jump for yeah. you know, same thing. Did you get did you get shit on your video? No, you mean no. like, uh, I mean, giving stuff away, like maybe that lake, because you did it on certain lakes where people like, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it. it, it I think that the, the whole thing died off. Really? After I, it started dying off okay. after us. And then we, we also, at that point, that, that video pushed us into the next level. So okay. me, Sean, Justin, Dave was the only one that didn't want to do it. Um, Paul, we all went pro. Okay. We were gone. We we finally got, oh, we're out of here, you know, and we got to travel. <laughs> so we, Casitas was winter, it was home. Yeah. But it wasn't like we were stressing because we weren't in the middle of it anymore. We were doing, we're, we thought we were moved on, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, obviously we to- told everyone how good the lake was. Um, but then they stopped planting trout. It just died. It Which was, happened to a lot of the lakes now, right? I mean, most yeah. of the... I mean, there's, you know, there was that order put out that that you can't put a trout in the lake, and that's been overturned, but GFG isn't really abiding by it. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, 
well, here's five trout. That'll do. Like Casitas was getting a stock <laughs> plant trout, a uh, 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 trout plant at Casitas. So I went. I'm like, let's have a look. It, it was a little Nissan that pulled up, and they pulled a cooler out of the back and emptied it out. I'm like, that's like 15 trout. And the headline serious? is, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. There's a plant. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been yeah. to, to like Irvine Lake? I was so excited uh, when they opened it. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't take a boat in. I'm like, okay. Uh, but then I heard the first day it was like... There was no one there from DF. This is what I heard. I don't know. Like no one was there from DFG. People just had buckets full. But of it's a private bags. lake, right? So you. Can uh, do I that. don't know. I think it's uh, not. I think it's the city ran now. Okay. Yeah. So I think it just opened on certain days. I'm not sure. I don't know. I might be speaking out of. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I mean that was my favorite lake because it was right there. Yeah, but those videos. No, it's every video I've done. Like a. Po- I'm Clear Lake. That's a case in point. I mean, we've mm-hmm. here. Let's go back to Paul. Paul moved to Clear Lake, and he did a video of him smashing him on Shag Rock yeah. on a HUD. Mm-hmm. Did you remember that? I've heard of yeah. And now that Shag Rock that I remember meeting that when I met when I found that spot, I go this. It seems like there should be some potential because it's so deep. And I never figured it out, and Paul figured it out. Mm-hmm. And now it's the most famous spot probably in the swim bait world. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, maybe it's died off now because the lake got hurt, but it's coming back. But that spot has got 15 boats fighting over it when for the na- the last 20 years, there wasn't a soul on it. It was just huh. empty. And Paul's- Do you feel like that happened with you two on your video? Oh, yeah. Laguna, yeah. Laguna but the people don't know how to fish it. <laughs> so you put them on it, and they, can't, they don't know how to fish it. They have no clue. All that footage was in Laguna then? A lot of it? A lot of footage was in Laguna. We won the tournament, The that bag that we caught. We caught... 32 pounds of that bag in Laguna and Shit. within 30 minutes pulled into a spot. It was biting. Every fish was over five pounds. And then the, the circus went on where there was an eight and there's an eight and a half and there's, you know, so there was, I think three, eight, seven and whatever. I don't remember exactly, but it's like, that was the most epic bite that I'll ever see. It's like his 27 fish bite, right? It's 27, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. How many times in your life are you going to go through and see one after the other? The only other time I've seen a bite like that, I was at Benitas, and I was over there with the AC crew and Dave Marciano, and they put me on the spot, and I was throwing surface iron, and I caught like three eights, and then we caught a nine, and then there was another fish that was real, real big nine, and... And it all happened for 30 minutes, and it was done. It was over. 
Yeah. So that was the only other time in my life. And I mean, think of it. I, I got thousands of days doing that stuff. Yeah. And I seen it twice. So yeah. it gets back to everybody's like, well, you fish all the time. <laughs> I fish all the time, but I don't catch all the time. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? No, I'm the same way. Shit. You know, <laughs> and you get some of the guys like Dwayne, he catches every day. He pays attention to detail. The whole thing with fishing is paying attention to detail. So to land big fish, you have to fish for big fish, but you got to be prepared. Yeah. You know, I always have a very dear friend of mine, I'm not going to mention his name, called me yesterday, hooked a swordfish off off the slide this weekend. Instead of going down and picking the swordfish caster up, which I always have a swordfish caster on the boat somewhere, he wasn't prepared, threw a marlin rig at it, fought for three hours, and it broke off. Sick. 30 pound, 30 pound ain't going to make it. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even attempt it. <laughs> so like that, line. <laughs> that doesn't work. So it's just like, I guess I get back to it. Prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Wow. You and the sayings, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got them, dude. No, but you know, the whole thing about that deal is if you're not prepared to do battle, baby, don't do it. Yeah. You can't do it. And then the tuna thing, I, I he was talking earlier about, Learning himself. I had a friend that did not, he just does not ever want to listen to me because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to just think that I know what the hell I'm talking about. So we're flying a kite and we get bit and not, it's not on a 50, it's on a 50 wide. So it's got a lot of line. This fish lands behind the boat and it's the biggest fucker I've seen in a long time. And I'm screaming at him. I'm like, you got to turn the fucking boat. He goes, what about the kite? I'm like, fuck the kite. Turn the boat. (laughs) And we're trying to get him to turn the boat, but he was so locked in at the kite that this fish pretty much fucking spooled our ass. Right? And it wasn't me. If I was driving the boat, it would have been a different deal. And I'm not talking. No no names talking. But I was just looking at it where... He had to learn the hard way, but unfortunately, I already knew, and I had to learn the hard way again, right? So I was like looking at it going, God dang it, you know? But those those kind of things teach you. I mean, you, you he was talking about how his, his, his bite died in the lake, right? Uh-huh. The lakes are, they're their own environment, whereas the ocean's a continuous moving environment. So when he went to be a pro, pro fisherman, all I did is I started stepping up in size. So my step was, okay, to what's next? Uh, Mako sharks. And what's next? The thresher sharks. What's next? Back then was big eye tunas. What's next? Marlins, right? And then I was fortunate. What's next? I caught some swordfish, right? Yeah. So what's next? And you start going. The what's next was the yellowfins. And caught some big yellowfins on the long ridge. And I started going up at Puerto Varda. And then this thing. So I look at, for honestly, right now at your table, I just fucking... I am stoked to be alive hey, because what's I got. Next now? My question I, is, what's next? You know what? I'm going to start the circle all over again, and that's one thing that Uncle Al, one of my buddies, has always said. He goes, "You start, you don't know shit. You get here, you know a little bit. You get here, you're pretty good. At this point, you're fucking on fire, and then all of a sudden, you start sliding down, and you're getting ready to start again. And what's the next start? I don't know what the next start, but guess what? I've been doing lately: trout fishing. Really. Right. Yeah. And I trout fish it all my years, right? I've been doing it forever. But have I ever focused on big trout? No. And he was laughing the other day. I go, What rods do we have for trout fishing? 
And he's probably shaking his head going, what the fuck? Is <laughs> <laughs> it's time to start uh, something else. Yeah. You know what? Don't, if, you, if you love fishing, don't become a box. Like my whole, I'm 360 around. I can see it all. I've got to f- do everything I ever want to do. I've caught every fish I wanted to. So now I'm going to find something new. And that trout fishing might be it. Doesn't mean I'm going to quit. You know, doing what you're doing. Doing what yeah. I'm doing. I want to go catch a swordfish on the deep drop. I'm going to go do that. I was supposed to be on the Kiakai when Charlie caught two of them, but I didn't go because my back's jacked. Yeah. So it's one of those deals. But I think if people are going to learn anything from this, have a good time. You have to study fishing like you have to study anything else. So if you're going to go swing a bat and hit a ball, do you have to study that? Yeah, fuck, you got to practice it. Yeah. Do we have to do this with fishing? got to do the same thing or you don't know shit you know you can always learn but if you don't want to learn expect failure as your friend <laughs> would you say that to be yeah, true well, i agree i agree how exciting are those awe moments though when you figure something out yeah it was like me the other day on that silly kite i was like oh yeah <laughs> you know like this yeah I'm like guys look at this watch this yeah uh-huh. you know and you don't you feel like maybe nowadays people don't take the time to learn like they, they should don't. they don't because of, uh, of, of no you know what because of instagram or even yeah. youtube i think it's just internet period internet period there's yeah. just the info is out there at a fingertip why why spend the money and the time learning when you can just push YouTube. That's and, what's and, going on right now. Yeah, and that's great. It's great. It gets them out there. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm an old school guy, and I, I've i had so many of those oh, moments, I'm addicted. Yeah. And when you get taught that, it's not the same. Not that I don't listen no. to everything that my peers say. I mean, yeah. I absorb yeah. it. I didn't. I, I learned something huge from a, a Chris Martin who I fished with. He taught me a whole different rigging. And I was like, no, my rigging's fine. And he goes... <laughs> No, but let me show you how I've been doing. I go, I, my rigging's fine. And then he did his, and I'm like, that's better. That's yeah. better. And, yeah. and I used it the other day, and I was like, this is what I got. Yeah. You know, but but it wasn't an awe moment because I didn't find yeah. that rigging, uh, and that would have been cool. You know, oh, look what I figured out. And it's, I get addicted to that, and that's why I try to do more myself. It's not ego. It's not. It's, oh. You you almost you're fishing you love fishing but at the same time you love just as much figuring out how to do what See, you're doing that's what we do right yeah, it's all of us yeah. I mean you get your first bite the while you're reeling it in you're going well, his face was facing that way <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's so a cool. it's a it's a weird thing but the one thing is that just because we know something a lot of times our friends don't know it and we we assume that our friends know it and they go well, I just learned this and you're going. Yeah, I, I was doing that too. I've done that for a couple of years now. Why? Because I saw someone make a mistake and do it and fucking get drilled, you know? And you're like, <laughs> so it's interesting. I think I'm with Matt. I like learning things myself. I don't want people to throw things at me and then me take it without experiencing it. I want to experience everything. Mm-hmm. The kite fishing's been like, the kite fishing, I was very fortunate to fish with Keith the Net. And I got down there and learned all about kite fishing in Puerto Varda. And, you know, you come back here and you see how they skip a kite. Well, we don't skip the kite the same way. Our baits are in the water and their baits are out of the water. And the elephants will jump, you know, 20 feet out of the water trying to grab a goddamn flyer that's going (laughs) by there. 
So to me, there's always there's always like what do you want to say the margins. Mm-hmm. So if you can figure out what's best and land right in the margin, or get to a point where you're almost perfect and your margin of error is zero, and you're gonna you know, so it's I don't know, it's just figuring it out because once you do something right, there's always a way. Like you just said, I learned how to rig better. There's something that's going to make it better. And in bass fishing, what for us was, we went from, you know, crappy. We didn't have triangle heads. We had bullet heads. Yeah. Right? So we went from crappy hooks with really poor hookup ratios to getting chemically sharpened hooks. Point is, braid. When braid came out, Russ Iser gave me some braid and said, this is going to change... The industry as we know it. I mean, I got a spool of braid from my sizer. Yeah. Milt Shedd walked up to me and he goes, you need to listen to him. So I went out and tried it. Guess what? I didn't understand that by my stiff rod from my monofilament that I put the braid on. I went to Laguna with no leader, throwing straight, you know, throwing straight braid and hook a fish, bring it to the boat. I Back then with straight mono, you fish the tightest drag. There mm-hmm. is no drag. It's locked. <laughs> with braid on there, forget it. I had a fish. He was like a nice fish. He was like eight, nine pounder. It was yeah. coming to the boat. He moved a certain way. There was no giving the rod. There was no giving the line. There was no giving the fish, and he popped right off. And there was Al was in the back of the boat, and Barry was looking at me in the front of the boat. Al goes, spider wire, nothing gets away. And I never <laughs> forgot that I turned around and I, I wanted to beat him to death. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you just did that to me. But, you know, without learning that, I wouldn't be where I am with bread now. Why? I watch people use top shots all the time. So I don't know if I told you this story, but I, I had... I went tuna fishing down there, and I was catching tuna on one of the trips down there, and I put a top shot on my rod, which I haven't put a top shot on my rod ever. I don't fish with top shots, right, on a regular tuna rod. I'm catch- we're catching like 40 to 60 pounders. I don't know if you've done that recently where you fish takes off and you put the reel in gear and you come up and set. When you come up and set, you ever realize how much stretch is in, is in that mono? Yeah. I can yeah. feel it. Mm-hmm. I'm going, oh, my God, because what do it's I fish? It's hard to wind on mono. Yeah. It, I fish like three feet of leader mm-hmm. and my knot and my line and my hook, right? And then all of a sudden, I'm doing this because our rods are not stiff rods. Our rods are parabolic, and they're designed to be parabolic to put a massive amounts of pressure on the fish and less pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm <laughs> trying to fish this mono, and I'm like, what is that feel? And I figured out what the feel was. It was the mono. So if people really want to understand it, you know, like this is a perfect thing. It's the same thing we did in that video. We told you how to do it when right then mm-hmm. it's all changed right with the innovation of braid and the new reels and everything else but if you wanted to really understand fishing and enjoy fishing even more is to understand what the reel does what the line does what the leader does and what the rod does and how if you get the right stuff all together how your fishing is more enjoyable it's less stressful on you mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things where you enjoy to pick up your rod. When a rod doesn't weigh anything and the reel's light, the rod's light, and it's got lots of power and you just make a cast, there's, no, there's nothing great. else to say. 
But then we go out and fish these tunas on the kites, and you got like you know twenty pounds you're lugging around all the time. It's a little bit different of a story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did you start throwing the surface iron for calicos? Uh, were you Jesus. throwing it right off the bat, or yeah. were you kind of just like, no, mm, let's was, try this? It was right off the bat. Was we it? learned it. Yeah, we learned it right off the bat, and then. We caught big, big calicos on the surface iron. And one of the craziest things is we started going to Clemente back then. Like, we had boats, and we were going to Clemente and fishing Clemente. And Jack Soul was there, and John. John, you could kick me right in the rear because I can't remember your last name right now. <laughs> he was there. And um, what we ended up doing was finding that, Instead of messing around with swim baits and losing the tails off of swim baits, you could go through and throw surface iron at the islands, and you could catch 100 to 150 fish on a surface iron. Wow! And um, one of the one of the best memories I have is that we did this video, um, a surface iron fishing at the island or whatever it was. We did it with Michael Folks, and I threw an iron out, and he said, "Hey, I got to put your 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 mic on," and I said, "Okay." So he puts my mic on. My jig hits the bottom. I pick up my rod. I start winding. And then all of a sudden, I feel stop. And I'm like, okay. And I keep on winding. I keep on winding. Fight this fish up to the boat. And it, I swear, I mean, it was, I want to say a good one. I'm not going to give you any weights. But it was between, easily between 9 and 11 pounds. Wow. And it was on a surface iron that sank to the bottom. (laughs) Dude, and yeah. it's on the video. If you want to watch it, it's yeah. it's on this video. You yeah. can see it. Me holding it and Michael Fulks jumping around in circles and stuff. But <laughs> the whole the whole thing about it was this was learning how to fish the iron. And now I think I will never have it mastered. Like I look at Dan Wade as the master of the surface iron, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody masters it. But there's nothing that's more fun than watching a fish track a lure and then turn sideways and smash it. Mm -hmm. And the yellows do it. The calicos do it. The tuna right now, they're doing it. The the surface iron is effective reaction tool. And I think more so with any of that stuff, it's the most visual you could see. It's amazing. Watching a fish track a lure and go, okay, now I'm going to pile on it. So check this out. You yeah, know? Matt knows that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Oh, yeah. That's that's one thing that I, I tried last year to kind of throw big bait. And yeah. I remember being on the phone with my wife. She was like, when are you coming home? I'm like, ah, oh, in a minute. I've been throwing all day and shit. So I'm on the phone and I'm like, what the fuck is that? So you're fucking like at least probably like an eight pounder following it, you know. I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, I think I'm gonna get one, yeah. you know. And it's just that made it's the day. So that made the yeah. day. Yeah. Like some sometimes it's like not catching. Like I went with uh, Charles Tatuna, uh huh, and uh, he took me to my first time like really big swim bait fishing, and same thing. Saw a lot of followers, which made the day like almost catching. But that's the that's the first yeah that's the first lesson. And then you go back the next day, you know where they followed from, yeah. so you, you only target those. And yeah. then the next day you go, I'm going to target different retrieve, or, and then all of a sudden, day four or five, you're like, these things that were just unicorns, I'm playing with them. Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, I'm getting them yeah. to come out. Right? But really see, cool. he thinks he's, that's a first, he thinks the same way I do. Yeah. You go to a place, you go in and out, and then you figure out the cadence, you, fig, you, you figure out... You know, is it wind and stop? Is it burning it? Is what is it? 
you know? Yeah. And something's, a lot of time when something's moving a certain direction, not with iron, but more so with the swim bait, if it's moving a certain direction, they're going to follow it. But if you stop and it changes direction, it's they're going to crush it. <laughs> and that's where the glide baits yeah, came in. I mean, exactly. we were fishing punkers that were so erratic. Well, Bill Cementol was fishing the tube, and I think that was the first really erratic bait ever. Really? Um, but the, uh, just the, yeah. I think of different baits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it makes sense. And then uh were you fishing then? Were you fishing deep structure a lot too? The deep structure thing came when I moved to Dana Point and started fishing back, you know, like there's no structure there. So I wouldn't I'd be lazy and not want to go to Dana or go to Laguna or go to Newport. I never fished deep structure in any of those. It was all shallow. And then in Dana, I started learning more about things. And that was because George Cleft started telling me hard bottom spots, hard bottom spots. And you could tell hard bottom on your meter. And once you figure out hard bottom on your meter and you start marking those spots, that's when I fi- figured out deep water structure. And then going to Clemente, that showed me all about deep water structure. Because mm-hmm. in Clemente, in different spots, you can get on different places and just drill them in 75, 80 feet of water. You know, yeah. going to the deep hole was another one that taught me. When we fished in those tournaments out of um, uh, Marina del Rey, I'd run up to deep hole, and I had to pre-fish up a deep hole, and you learn a lot of stuff. But when you're fishing in deep water, you can catch yellows, you can catch white sea bass. Like, a lot I of was, sand bass, too. Yeah, right? Yeah. right? Lots of sand bass. I was fishing with <clears throat> Al in an SWA event out of uh, Long Beach, and I was fishing Isers. Right, he caught a forty-eight pound white sea bass in the middle of this tournament. So we had a limited bass, and we had a forty-eight pound white sea bass in the boat. So I was like, anything's possible. But it's, I think, a lot of the stuff that people don't understand is that when you meter stuff, you have to know where your where your beam is from your transducer, and you have to effectively be able to mark spots. And one of the things that's really helped me a lot with deep water structure because I do a lot of shallow water rock fishing now and stuff is at Terrarova by Minn Kota. I got a Terrarova 80 or whatever it is. And man, once I hit that on that, that, um, anchor, God, I mean, I could sit right on places and just bash them. Yeah. That thing's amazing. So there's a lot just don't of, get the riptide. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I got. Piece of shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of things. Thumb me out when they came out with those. <laughs> I always pr- I always prided myself on the ability to on offshore Hold fishing. A spot. I was king at it. I mean, people hated yeah. me. And if you moved a foot, if it was crowded and you drifted a foot, I'll suck that foot up. <laughs> and I was so good at it. And then when these things come out, absolutely, you can't you can't wait a spot out anymore because they're locked. They're yeah. locked. They yeah. can retie. They can have lunch. There's going to be no mistakes. No. Yeah. And you just got to leave. The GPS like, holds it right in there. But before yeah. you could pull up and you'd see eight boats, you're like, okay, I just need to get there. And you just start on the outside and <laughs> steal a foot, steal a foot. And then you're on the zone. Everyone's going, wait, what? How the fuck did that Yeah, what the? <laughs> I'm not on the spot anymore. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot with just everything, with especially with electronics and stuff, fishing's moved way ahead. Yeah. Calico bass fishing with side scan. I mean, there's guys crushing yeah, It's become now. so visual. It used to be so mental fishing you don't know what's going on down there yeah you know, so you just like imagine now right? i mean now with the new some of the garments i think it is where you can actually see what kind of fish it is yeah yeah, yeah. like that's a pike 
Dude, you know, that's it's wild, like, right? It looks clear as shit. Yeah, the pictures, I'm like, I saw the guy swimming under the boat the other yeah. day, and you can see his hands. Yeah. You're like, what? This is nuts. Yeah. Once they have that, so it can shoot really far forward, this fish is screwed. Yeah. It's going to take the fishing out of fishing. <laughs> but, but you know what? Still, yeah. the one thing I was just going to say that's super important is that you can have all the shit in the world that you want to find them. You better make sure you know how to rig your shit to catch them. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I laugh at people when we were down there. There was a couple guys down there that were telling me about that. They, they were trying 10 different knots. I got a knot. It works. I tie the same knot every time, right? Yeah. So What's your before, knot? Before I knew it, I had these other guys going, <laughs> hey, can, I'm rigging this. Can you tie my knot? And I'm looking at them going, oh, so you want me? So to me, it's like right now we got, we're tying on leaders on the braid, right? So the Pena, the new improved Pena is the only knot I use. But the key to it is taking, you know, knot pullers and wrapping them around the line and popping the knots. And so I'll say it forever. Knot pullers. Knots. Because you and uh, Decker talked about knot pullers yeah. last time. Dudes asked about that. They're like, what's a knot puller? Well, a knot puller, so, so you could take two sticks. Let's say you take two quarter-inch by five-inch sticks. You take tape, wrap, wrap it around there. Then you take, um, I'm telling you how to make them. Then you go through and you can put um, heat shrink on them and then take tape and wrap it around there and then put heat shrink on them again you got to set a knot puller. So what you're going to do is you're going to do one, at least three or four times around the braid and never cross the braid. When mm-hmm. you're winding it around, they're all separate winds. And you're going to do the same with the floor. Once you get it there, you're going to hold it and you're going to pull with all your might apart and the knot will pop. Once the knot pops, that means it's cinched. Cut your tag lines and off you go. So the key to any of these knots are you. There's a million knots to learn, mm-hmm. but for me the key is one that can hold a lot of pressure because we're fishing small reels. It got lots of pressure on them, but more importantly is that it goes in and out of the guides that you have. So if you're fishing really small guides, you're gonna have to figure out a really small knot because Matt and I have talked a lot about that because a lot of times micro guides, yeah, yeah you guys I, have them on your. No, they're not micros. They're what I call, I call them semi micros. They're okay. um, the micro guides are built on a real flimsy base. I mean, uh-huh. It's tiny and they just fall off. So ours are built like a regular guide, but they are small. Okay, they keep them on the Genesis. Actually, yeah, oh no, Genesis and Airs. I like small. what is it? The Airs, what I like. You the Air, their swim really bait small. rods. Yeah, yeah, and and. My my knots fit through there, but you know I use swim bait rods for saltwater fishing because he has the right actions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys will go, "What's up with that?" And I use the Bailey swim pretty much. If you ever got on my boat, people are going, well, "Are we going bass fishing?" I'm like, "No, we're gonna take the <laughs> shit out of this other stuff." <laughs> it doesn't really matter if the rod's right; it's right. Yeah. Right. So we've got different. I fish all our Kamana swim bait rods but and sometimes i'll get on these airs and the airs i fish the airs a lot of times for smaller baits for decent fish and i love them i mean the thing is is matt's got the right actions in the rods yeah right the rods yeah. the rod's gonna set the hook it's gonna give enough parabolic bends so you're putting a lot of pressure on the fish but the key to fishing at all is to be able to move a fish if fish if a rod has too much action in it you won't be able to move the fish you're screwed if a rod loads and shuts off at the right deal, you can move the fish, and that's what you're looking for in yeah. rods. Yeah. And I'm trust me, for me coming back a million <laughs> years ago when we were calico bass fishing, uh, fishing really very archaic stuff to now. Yeah. That's 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 a key point. Yeah. 
Dropping knowledge bombs again. <laughs> well, no, it's just sorry about the knowledge bombs, but it's just I'm trying to what I try to figure out is make the layman get it. You know, it's like it's easy to talk above everybody's head, but it's the best thing to do. It's like when I do a seminar, if a guy's got a question, I stop and go, "What is the question?" Because you know what, one guy asks a question, then there's ten guys think, thinking the yeah. same oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of it's it's of time to get everybody on the same thing, and then like, hey, when we're done talking, we'll come over here and we'll do whatever we need to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, but. I can tell you honestly with knots, if you have a knot and it works, I use uni knots almost all the time. I use uni knots on almost everything I do except for maybe on the kite when I'm putting the swivels on the on my big rod. I use a San Diego jam, double San Diego jam or something. But other than that, I use a uni knot all the time. Really? Trout fishing, if we're fishing for bass, whatever it is, I use the same knots because I I believe that those knots are the best, and I don't lose fish. I don't have big knots, you know. What about you? What's your knot? I'm so bad with names because there's I don't know so the names many names. Either. Five up, five down. What's that? Five up, five down. It's like a that's on the leader. Knot. Uh, yeah, on the leader knot. I so. thought it was seven. <laughs> no, no. I've been doing he's, seven. He's, up. he's he's tying an improved Albright. I'm doing is seven up on mine yeah. too. Yeah. Five up, five down. Back yeah. through the way you came. Yeah, everyone. There's like fifteen. I do that one. Yeah. And then my regular knot I used for hooks on freshwater. Yeah, trialing. Yeah, not even the improved one. Regular trialing. Yeah. It's it wins the knot wars all the time. Yeah. What's the one that goes uh, up, down? I think seven, and then back through. Let's that sounds try like it. San Diego. That, no? no, that's oh, that's a trial. That's a trial. I just started. Yeah. I used that's to use polymer all the time. Yeah. That's so, all I did. So get this: my dad taught me a knot in 1964. It was two through the eye up. Turn it. Go back through both the circles and pull it down. My dad tied the first trialing knot in 1964, mm-hmm. and he learned it in Pennsylvania. Huh. Oh. <laughs> so people go this is a trialing knot i'm like no that's ben secret senior <laughs> knot, man. i don't know what you're talking but he tied that knot forever you know and and but with the uni knots i think stoats got me on the uni knots i've never because with the uni knot i can tie it in heavy line light line i can tie it wherever i found a knot talking about knots uh lepresti <laughs> did a video just just fumble i wasn't even looking for knots i mm-hmm. found it and lepresti did a video on this this knot that a customer had fought a fish for five hours on light line, got it in, and he was like, that's the smallest knot in the world. So I learned how to tie it, and I, I tie it now on all my saltwater hooks. Oh, really? And it's, uh, you go through the eye once, and then go right back again, and then you wrap those two together, done. And it's tiny, tiniest knot, oh, so wow. that it allows the bait to the bait to swim without a big knot. Never failed on me. Wow. Huh. The Presti was ranting and raving about it. Too bad we don't know the names of all these knots. <laughs> I'm so bad. Trialene Knot Palomar, about the only two I'm yeah, secure Yeah, those on. are the ones that I, I used to. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Well, this has been another great one, man. We did a really long podcast today. I appreciate both you guys coming that's out. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks again, Ben. I hope the surgery goes well, man. You're back on the water Thanks. Soon. October yeah. 8th, baby. Yeah. He's going to be bionic, man. He's going to come back and outfish everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt that. I'll probably I'll probably up in the Sierras trying to catch a brown trout. <laughs> trout rods coming soon. <laughs> Thanks again, guys, for coming. I appreciate you taking Thank the you time so down to come down. You Thanks, brother. Stoke. All right, take care, guys. All right.